In the early 1950s, polio outbreaks were common in the United States, and researchers were scrambling to find preventive measures. Dr. William Hammond teamed up with the National Foundation for Infant Paralysis to launch the first-ever large-scale randomized controlled trial. In the course of the research, more than 55,000 children received injections of gamma goblin across America. But anxious parents knew their child had only a 50-50 chance of getting the serum, and many looked for other ways to get it. There was illicit serum redistribution and multiple clinical enrollments, plus second administrations by family doctors. Despite these research flaws, the trial was initially declared a success. At the very least, it provided valuable lessons for other large trials that followed. I'm Barbara Sibbald, News and Humanities Editor for CMAJ, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Stephen Mosley, Wellcome Trust Lecturer at the University of Strathclyde in Glasgow, Scotland, specializing in the history of American race, medicine, and health. He is the author of the CMAJ Medicine and Society article, Clinical Trials of Gamma Globulin for Polio, Victims of Marketing Success. Professor Mosley is joining me from Glasgow. Welcome, Stephen. Hi. My first question is, what does the story of Hammond and the polio trial tell us about medical science in the mid-20th century? It's, it's a very interesting question. Um, I think it tells us a number of things. Um, I think it tells us that there was a considerable public faith in medical science. And if you think about, this was a time when antibiotics had just been introduced five years earlier with great success. Uh, there were new chemotherapies for cancer treatment. So it was an exciting time. Uh, and I think anything seemed possible. I think it also tells us something about the state of medical ethics. Uh, at the time, there were no IRBs or institutional review boards. So assessing the potential risks and benefits was largely uh, self-directed and left to the discretion of the chief investigator. Uh, I, I also think it shows the importance of private health charities, such as the National Foundation for Infantile Paralysis, and funding uh, medical research. Because after the Second World War, the federal government was starting to invest heavily in medical research. But just for that moment, disease or condition-specific charities remained uh, very important. Um, it also tells us that the world of medical research was very competitive. And of course, it's not, not surprising, and it, it still is. But the nature of how that competition plays out reveals the different alliances and the personalities involved. So, for instance, you know, William Hammond did not like Jonas Salk, and Salk did not like Hammond, and yet they were at the same institution, both researching uh, ways of controlling polio. And I think finally, um, I think it shows us something about implementing this first gold standard clinical trial um, uh, it was so novel at the time since it was um, something that needed to be explained to the public and they needed to be educated in a way to understand the value of such a protocol. It's interesting that you mentioned that because uh, this was the first large double-blind placebo-controlled study and publicity became an essential part of the design. And that campaign in this case was championed by what's now known as the March of Dimes, but it was different from any other. The timelines were really short to coincide with polio outbreaks and parental education was essential. What do you think were the failings of this campaign and how did it taint the research findings? Great question. I, I suppose there are 
are two types of failings here. Uh, the first is a public relations failing. I think Hammond and his team did not acknowledge the potential health risks associated with the experiment. For example, children faced a potential increased risk of something called polio provocation, whereby the virus on the skin could be driven into the body by way of the needle, thereby seeding the virus in the injected limb. And incidentally, this model of infection was known at the time, or at least suspected heavily at the time, and has since been confirmed experimentally in uh, 1998 by uh, Gromeyer and Wimmer. Furthermore, Hammond did not acknowledge the risk of contagion. So for decades, if you think about it, the National Foundation had urged parents to keep their children away from polio epidemics. However, uh, for this experiment to take place, children would have to be brought together in a large group uh, to attend injection clinics. So it almost violated decades of uh, public education. And there was also... I suppose, a public assumption that gamma globulin was likely effective against polio, even though that was unproven at the time, uh, since it was widely used for the treatment of other diseases such as uh, measles and hepatitis. So I think people were very optimistic. I think the second type of failing here is scientific. Um, when the study was launched, Parents were, of course, desperate for help to protect their children from polio. And it's hard to imagine today the fear that polio engendered. There were uh, parents were therefore very keen to take advantage of the clinics. And a few parents did things that undermined the data set. For example, some enrolled their children in multiple clinics to increase the chance of getting gamma globulin over placebo. And in Houston, uh, in Texas, parents purchased private gamma globulin injections in addition to Hammond's clinic injections. So some community volunteers were therefore directly involved in trying to make this experiment their own because they believed in it. Um, and I think it's also important to paint a picture of how hurried this experience was for both researchers and parents. You can imagine um, a hot summer day, uh, a long line of parents and children, cramped clinic conditions, um, as many of the, them were operated out of community centers. So there's crying children, parents and doctors holding them down for the injections. So the chance of recording errors or accidental needle reuse um, and the limits of training uh, of staff were considerable. So it was an expensive study. It would be hard to undertake again for reasons of cost. So you have all of these factors combined to, to make this study very, very difficult. So then it brings us to, I think, your next question, which was how did this affect the research findings? And I think, you know, to evaluate a test substance like gamma globulin, you need an accurate data set based on solid reporting and record keeping. And this was not possible under the circumstances. Um, and, and in spite of Hammond's best efforts to rein in public enthusiasm and train clinic staff to do a good job, uh, nevertheless, the data set that was being generated was not accurate. And worst of all, it was difficult to pinpoint exactly how much of the data set was inaccurate, or uh, what other new factors had been introduced into the study that had not been accounted for. So to assess something like gamma globulin, whether it's protective or not, follow-up teams remained in the community to assess the incidence of polio paralysis. 
And since polio uh, paralysis was a relatively rare manifestation of the infection, it's around 10% of cases result in paralysis. This meant that even small deviations from the protocol could have serious effects on data quality. That's really interesting. Hammond was left with data of dubious quality, but he decided not to acknowledge these shortcomings, and he claimed that the injections worked to prevent polio paralysis under epidemic conditions. Essentially, this was a misrepresentation, and it, and it could have affected public confidence in the promise of medical research with potential effects on recruiting research subjects beyond this single experiment. Do you think there were long-lasting ramifications of this study and the way it was done? Um, I think while writing the book and certainly writing this article, I've been thinking about that a lot. And, and in this case, I don't think there was. And the, and the reason is, is because the problems with this study were never acknowledged by Hammond. And there was, in fact, a, a concerted public relations campaign led by the National Foundation for Infantile Paralysis to push back against any accusations of problematic results. In particular, um, Basil O'Connor, who was the president of the foundation, made it clear that the data generated by Hammond showed that gamma globulin worked under epidemic conditions and that it should and when would be used. And it was important to the foundation to show steady progress in the fight against polio. And anything that seemed to be uh, an expensive misstep would be difficult to justify to the public who had donated millions of dollars to the annual March of Dimes fundraising campaign every year. So did, did the word ever get out publicly? Or I guess it did eventually. Do you know when it did? Well, that's a good point. There, there were certainly concerns about the value of gamma globulin for polio expressed at the time. So in 1953, the World Health Organization Expert Committee on Polio reported that it did not believe gamma globulin was effective against epidemic polio. Likewise, uh, the United States Public Health Service had studied the use of gamma globulin nationally in 1953 and concluded that it did not appreciably uh, affect the incidence of polio paralysis in epidemic regions. And this led to uh, a split in public health practice where in some states, uh, they were reluctant to make GG available for polio control, while others caved to parental demand because there was still this persistence that, uh, that, that people believed it worked. Um, however, in all such cases, uh, the media did not explicitly attack Hammond or suggest that he had misrepresented his study. In fact, it was the foundation that uh, was in for most of the attacks. And they defended Hammond and his research, saying that gamma globulin worked and that the studies of other organizations were flawed. So it was, it was an interesting back and forth. Hmm. When did the foundation change their name to March of Dimes? It was after the uh, the Salk polio vaccine was uh, was licensed and had uh, was working, mm -hmm. and they conducted a. Um, it's interesting. They conducted a study to find out what they needed to focus on next after polio, and they tried a number of things. It was uh, many many years they did research into this. They thought of um, preventing uh, juvenile delinquency was one project, um, and in the end, of course, they worked on uh, the prevention of, of birth defects. So so it was uh, it was a it was a deliberate decision to almost take the brand that most Americans knew best and make it their front and center as they shifted away from polio. Um, you mentioned Salk. Now, Salk's vaccine trials were likewise huge, involving over a million children. 
Did they run into similar problems as Hammond with the parents trying to circumvent the placebo injections? Well, actually, no. Um, Unlike gamma globulin, which could be purchased privately, uh, the Salk vaccine was only available within the clinical trial setting. So if parents wanted their children to benefit from the vaccine, they needed to to follow the protocol and show up at the the clinics. Is that something you think that uh, maybe Hammond should have done? Well, it was very difficult for Hammond because uh, in some places like Houston, Texas, uh, parents could privately purchase their own gamma globulin. And many of them did, in fact. And there are some accounts that suggest that, uh, you know, gallons of it were sold in the area, uh, hinting that parental demand was steep and that people were willing to pay the high cost for gamma globulin uh, shots at the time. So um, it was very hard for Hammond to rein in uh, you know, parental demand for that. Stephen, I'm wondering if some of the problems might have been mitigated if, there was, if the campaign had had specific messages for doctors. Do you think that might have helped? Well, it's interesting because uh, Hammond was very conscious about how important local doctors were to his study. He saw them as as crucial allies, and he needed their support for legal reasons because of state licensing laws, but also to help build a sense of public trust in the study because he was concerned, of course, that there would be some parents a bit reticent, so he needed doctors on board. And he understood that an education campaign directed at doctors where he could explain the merit of the study and ask them to uh, avoid giving out gamma globulin privately, that sort of thing. He saw that as important. Um, But it's interesting because doctors were effectively the gatekeepers to the community, and and Hammond, of course, recognizes that. We have to see them, too, as um, on the front lines of a terrible epidemic. They're also members of the local community. Many of them were parents, and they cared about whether participation in Hammond's research would be uh, a beneficial exercise. So in some respects, doctors were placed in a really difficult situation. They wanted to protect the health of their community and members of the community, um, yet also balance the concerns of parents as well as the needs of Hammond and his team, who, who just wanted data effectively. Um, with, so with no clear acknowledgement of the health risks involved, it makes sense that doctors saw participation in something that promised to possibly protect against polio as better than doing nothing. And do you think they were aware of, well, they obviously were aware of some of the things that were going on because they were involved in it so that the placebo protocol had been violated? Well, in this case, I think that um, they were reporting to Hammond. They were generating data for him, and they were presumably, in this case, expecting that he would take note of this. And this is very difficult because they're in an alliance with him. They're also, their professional prestige is on the line here too. If there are uh, problems with this clinical trial, of course, they want uh, Hammond to be um, a success out of this just as much as as they do. This is, as far as um, the gamma globulin study is concerned, this is something where it's seen that doing something, especially something that appears to be potentially effective, is better than um, ignoring that possibility. Because Hammond's bringing resources to the community, he's going to help them, um, and he's going to stay with a follow-up team. So for 
doctors on the front lines of an epidemic, what Hammond is promising is uh, is a wonderful thing. And uh, deviations from the protocol, of course, you know, this is the first time it's ever been done and this scale. So I think that they're recognizing this is part of the, the, the process of, of research taken to a public setting uh, and hoping that Hammond will be able to sort it out. Stephen, how aware were doctors of the time of the research protocol that was emerging? Yeah, so what's interesting about 1950 and 1951, the, the time when these field trials are being planned, is that the the idea of using a double-blind placebo control um, was relatively new. And many of these doctors, particularly the ones where these um, clinical trials were being undertaken, uh, were not uh, directly familiar with these new, uh, new methods. And so for Hammond, it was important uh, to him to provide some means of educating them. But of course, uh, because it was so new, and because many of them, because they were family family physicians, um, were not directly exposed to this before, they um, they certainly had a lot to take in in a very short uh, period of time. Hammond went on to receive the Presidential Medal of Freedom from President Truman in 1944. Do you think all of this tainted Hammond's uh, career or reputation in the end? Yeah, it's um, it's important to remember that. Hammond was facing many challenges. He was responding to professional demands as a grantee of the National Foundation um, and the Foundation's need for gamma globulin to be part of this sort of steady progress story that they'd created. So in some respects, he was between, I think, a, a rock and a hard place. He didn't, he didn't want to alienate his funding agency or detract from his own role as a health leader. Although some of his peers expressed concerns, many of them were also grantees of the foundation. So it, it did not uh, taint his career. He, he continued to research and lead the Department of Pittsburgh. He uh, undertook field studies in the Pacific, and the foundation was largely successful at protecting him from any accusations of misrepresentation. But uh, what's interesting here is that it's the Salk vaccine field trial that, that saves the day since it shifted attention away from Hammond and the problem of gamma globulin for polio onto a new and exciting intervention, which in the end worked. Ironic, given that they were uh, often in uh, combat with one another. Yeah, it yeah. is, isn't it? Um, just overall, how would you situate this uh, polio trial within medical history at large? I think there are some interesting themes that, that come up within the context of medical history here. It's uh, The gamma globulin study is certainly a product of its place and time, uh, a moment of Cold War faith and research, an incredible fear of polio, of course, uh, and a popular sense of a duty to pitch in and help the nation defeat an enemy. Um, I, it also shows, I think, the power of a large health charity in shaping both um, research agendas and the presentation of results. And like other researchers, Hammond was responding to where the money was and he needed to please that agency. Um, 
I, I think it also shows how during times of crisis, and in this case, um, a polio epidemic, how human behavior can be affected. Uh, we can see this uh, with the response to, for instance, more recently, the HIV um, AIDS, where patients want to test new medical interventions quickly. Uh, I, I think it also shows the consequences of needing positive research outcomes. There was too much pressure on Hammond to report favorable results on gamma globulin. So when it came to publishing, the target medical journal would be more likely to publish a successful clinical trial than a failed one. So I think those are some of the key themes that, that come out of this. Well, the latter is certainly still true today. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it's a real conundrum. So I just want to thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you. It was a great pleasure. I've been speaking with Dr. Stephen Mosley, Welcome Trust Lecturer at the University of Strathclyde in Glasgow, Scotland. He specializes in the history of American race, medicine, and health. To read his Humanities article, visit cmaj.ca. If you've been listening to our CMAJ podcast, Please leave us a rating on iTunes or give us your feedback on SoundCloud or any of our social media channels. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.